This is Oklahoma football. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. Tyler Burton, along with Adam Jacquez and Corbin Polson, back for another edition of the Mainline. Adam's in Dallas, Corbin's in Denver, and I'm right here in Norman. And gentlemen, we've been talking about it all week, and if any of our listeners have been paying attention to social media, you know that not only are we in the middle of a global pandemic, but the state of Oklahoma is pretty close to issuing a state of emergency right now. Why? I don't know. It's so damn cold outside. We've had freezing temperatures for days, wind chills in the low single digits, snow, ice, and guys, it looks like uh, Oklahoma City, we're projected to get anywhere from one to two feet of snow this weekend to go along with some negative 20 wind chills. So I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know where I'm at right now, um, but it's uh, it's a crazy time right now to be living in Oklahoma, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not much better down here in Dallas. Uh, we have a little bit of ice, had a terrible, terrible pile up over in Fort Worth this morning. So um, hopefully everyone can stay home and uh, the ice uh, doesn't continue to cause a lot of issues. I feel like I'm allergic to snow because I'm pretty sure Oklahoma's gotten more snow than Colorado has outside, of, of course, like the mountains. So uh, you're welcome, state of Oklahoma. As soon as I leave, you guys get some snowy weather. Yeah, we appreciate you sending that down to us. Like it's it's kind of been snowing a little bit today, but uh, depending on what weather channel you've you've been watching the last day or two, some people saying we're going to get six inches. Some people say it's going to be twenty to twenty four inches. So who knows what it's going to be when we wake up uh, on Saturdays and Sundays? But uh, yeah, excited to uh, talk some ball. We've actually finally got some news uh, as far as OU football and OU athletics as a whole. Uh, is concerned. Finally got some things that we can talk about. Uh, obviously, with the OU football schedule being released, we've got a couple of uh, fun topics as far as recruiting goes. Uh, we've got a Mount Rushmore to tend to uh, at the end of the podcast. But guys, just to kind of start out, man, you know, it's obviously moving into the spring semester here. There's a lot of other sports here in Norman that are getting going, and none of those is bigger, uh, in my opinion, uh, as far as program success and entertainment value. It's It's the OU softball girls, and my God, what a what a start to the year! I mean, a 20, 29 nothing win over UTEP to kick things off earlier this afternoon, uh, and then here just before we hopped on the podcast, uh, beating ACU nine to nothing. So, guys, where do we even start? Patty Gasso sounds like she's at it again with another fantastic team uh, in twenty twenty one. For sure. I mean, just like every single year, uh, this team is out here to, to dominate, and it looks like they could be one of the best ones that she's ever had yet. I think Mike Houck really summed it up well. He had a, a tweet earlier today just stating uh, that OU has been in the softball poll, the top 25, since they first started that poll way back in 1995. So what is that, 26 straight seasons that they've been in every single top 25 poll? That's insane. I I would love to see if that's happened in any other sport uh, in any, for any other team around the country. I, that seems something that hasn't been matched. It's crazy enough, too, because of the fact that Patty has been here going on year 27, kicking that off today. So, I mean, the, the fact that every single year that she's been in Norman, she's been a top 25 team at, at some point or another. And, I mean, is, is it kind of a bad time to bring up that, uh, um, I don't know, Patty Gasso is making less money than Cherry Cole right now? It's, we just want to throw that out there right now. Just straight-up robbery, guys. Straight-up robbery. I mean, so that softball program – Granted, it's not bringing in the revenue of necessarily some of the other sports, but like 
That is the most dominant program in, in Norman at the moment. I think you can make an argument there for men's and women's gymnastics as well. But what Patty's done uh, since she's arrived in Norman is nothing but spectacular. Uh, but I want to, you know, tell all Sooner fans, as Toby Rowland tweeted out a little bit earlier today, you know, bear with this team. It may, it may take a little while for them to hit their stride. So, uh, yeah, starting <laughs> off the, the season with 29 runs uh, is absolutely insane. I don't care who the opponent is. That's wild. I'll have to go back and check the check the stat line, but I thought I saw a, a, tw- uh, a tweet earlier was saying that OU hit more home runs today as a team than their pitchers gave up hits to the opposing team in both games. So that's that's pretty remarkable to think about. And like like we said, it sounds like Patty has got another fantastic team. It's going to be fun to watch them as they go throughout the season and uh, hopefully what's going to be Patty Gasso's 14th appearance in the Women's College World Series. So, uh, But guys, like I said, a lot, a lot to get to tonight. OU, uh, OU schedule is finally out. Seems like Big 12 has been kind of been playing catch up over the last few weeks. We've gotten the schedule from some of the other Power 5 conferences and today – Bob Bowles being the Big 12 finally released uh, the Big 12 schedule. So just kind of – kind of, uh, do we guys just want to go down the list here, start with OU's week one, just kind of rattle them off and uh, get some early takeaways? How do you guys want to go about doing this? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Well, let's just uh, let's kind of kind of name them off here. Week one at Tulane. Week two, OU's going to be opening it up here in Norman against Western Carolina. Uh, following that up, week three against Nebraska. It's going to be fun to see that old rivalry renewed here in Norman. Uh, OU fans should be excited about that. West Virginia to open up Big 12 play in week four uh, against OU here in Norman, Final, followed by a road trip to Kansas State uh, to take on Chris, Chris Kleiman uh, in the Wildcats up in Manhattan. So uh, as we get Big 12 play started, finish it up in, or get it started in Manhattan, that moves us down there to Texas for uh, OU Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, a game that OU fans have circled on the calendar every single year. Kind of, kind of a little bit of a, uh, a little stretch right after that. TCU at home at Kansas, yawn. Texas Tech at home, obviously a bye week uh, as OU prepares to go on their championship November run, and then kind of a tough three game schedule to round out the regular season at Baylor, Iowa State, and Norman, and then on the road in Stillwater uh, against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. So Adam, just kind of kick it over to you. Um, just kind of what were some of your early takeaways whenever this thing got released earlier today? Yeah, I felt like it was a fairly balanced and manageable schedule for uh, OU to, to start off the year and get uh, you know into a groove before conference play. But even once conference play starts, like West Virginia and Kansas State, you do have to be um, you know on your guard and prepared for those teams. But nothing super scary there. I know K State has beaten OU you know two years in a row, but talent wise, they're not in the same stratosphere. I think Texas is, is going to be really tough. But then I look down at a championship November, and I think that might be the toughest run uh, that we've, ha- we've had as, as a program in November, probably ever since we went on that winning streak, which, uh, knock on wood, is still going in the month of November. But uh, at Baylor, Iowa State looks like an absolute monster. They've been given OU everything they have the past couple of years. And then finishing out with Oklahoma State in Stillwater, I think that's going to be a tough stretch in November for sure. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Adam. I think um, the schedule's played out nice. I don't think you know anything's overly loaded, maybe excluding those final two games of the season uh, against Iowa State and at Oklahoma State. So I think it's played out well. Guys, I'll be honest, though, you know, the first third of the schedule doesn't really concern me that much, but I do think we'll figure out pretty quick exactly how talented this team is. If we don't roll through the non-conference schedule by 
what winning an average by 30 points, I think that'll probably be enough to have some question marks about is this team really up to the scale that we hope it's going to be. Um, but yeah, I think the schedule was was laid out pretty nice for us. Props to the Big 12 for having us versus Iowa State towards the end of the year. I think that game um, needs time to build up throughout the season. I think they did that well, but also knowing that with us and them being the two favorites of the conference, not having that the final game of the year is also smart. So um, yeah, excited to see the schedule play out. I completely disagree with you guys, and not to be the Debbie Downer on it, um, putting OU Iowa State, I think, at the very end of the year, Week 12, I think, in my personal opinion, I think that that was one of the worst possible decisions that the Big 12 could have made. Just because of the fact that coming into the year, both teams are going to be ranked in the preseason top 10. Obviously, Baylor or Iowa State is going to have to get over the hurdle and beat Iowa uh, in the non-conference matchup. But I, I think that the Big 12, what they should have done, Slide that OU-Iowa State matchup back up earlier into the year. Obviously, don't want to put it week one or week two of the, of the Big 12 Commerce play, but maybe you know put it back up there in like week seven, week eight. That way, it one, it decreases the possibility of Iowa State losing a game. Obviously, they have to get past Iowa, but if you get it, if you get it earlier in the year, you're already going to have a top 10 matchup built in just because of preseason rankings alone. But by the Big 12 putting it a little bit later into the year, yes, I like the fact that it does give you guys something to look forward to, gives both teams obviously the opportunity uh, to grow, to find their way and put, and play their best football towards the end of the year. But I just think that it kind of diminishes uh, the, the possibility that we think these teams are going to are gonna rematch in the Big 12 championship game. At least that's kind of what I've got it pegged at. So the fact that it's kind of setting up to where you're going to have OU Iowa State playing twice in a matter of three weeks – um, I would have liked to have seen the Big 12 do a little bit better job, kind of moving that game earlier in the year. <clears throat> and then, Corbin, like you said, it's it's kind of an easy non-conference schedule. Obviously, when you schedule so far out, you don't know what your opponents are going to look like. Obviously, Nebraska is not what they thought we were – is not what we thought they were going to be uh, when we scheduled them out a few years back. But um, those first three weeks, I, I really like it. It gives OU a chance to kind of figure out who they are as a team. There's going to be some new faces in a few key places. Um, give the coaching staff and those guys an opportunity uh, to kind of get things in sync. Um, like we said, get, and I also like the fact, too, those first three to four weeks we'll throw West Virginia in there also. It gives guys like Caleb Williams and some of those young guys uh, that were part of that 2021 recruiting class a chance to come in, get their feet wet, uh, get some snaps in, especially against Western Carolina. So, um, Adam, looking at this here – is there is there a game or a stretch of games that you kind of have your eye on that think that this could that that could be the game that OU kind of falls into a trap or what we're so used to seeing year in and year out? OU is going to show up for the big games, but there might be a team or two um, that causes them to slip up as the season progresses. I think the Big Twelve as a whole is is going to be better uh, this year than it was last season. So there's going to be a lot of teams that are, are capable, um, like we've seen where OU drops a game to someone they absolutely shouldn't, and so um, it's hard to pinpoint those games because you don't see those coming. But I one that is kind of interesting to me this year is actually Oklahoma State, and the reason I say that is because if Iowa State is really as good as we think they are, and if that matchup on November 20th is a top 10 matchup or even top five matchup, we're thinking maybe college game day could be there that weekend. That could be absolutely huge. You come off of that game with a win, uh, and then you are at Oklahoma State and Stillwater for the finale. Maybe Oklahoma State isn't you know as good as they were this past season because they're losing some key players. Maybe they're just as good. I don't know. But 
Um, that kind of gets sandwiched there between Iowa State and the Big 12 championship game. And if OU beats Iowa State, you'd like to think that the uh, their spot in Arlington is secured at that point. So I think that could be a tough one in Stillwater. Well, I'm going to go the week before. I'm going to go that, that at Baylor game is the one where, let me preface it this way though, guys. If this team is who we think they are, we shouldn't have a loss on this schedule. I'm no, I'm not downplaying the schedule or anything like that. But if this is a true national championship contender team, we shouldn't be dealing with the the one weird loss last year. The two weird losses. Um, it shouldn't be on this schedule. Um, but I do look at that at Baylor game for almost similar reasons to to Adam. Just kind of in reverse order, you're staring down potentially, you know, back to back games. You think Oklahoma State's probably flirting with the top 25 at that point if they have a decent season. That at Baylor game um, is one that I would have circled. Baylor, you know, being in year two under Dave Aranda, I don't think they were as bad as their record showed last year. They certainly played OU to the wire almost that entire game in Norman last year. So that's one that I would look at and say, make sure you're paying attention. Don't overlook to Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Knock out things in Waco like you're supposed to, and then take care of the big boys after that. I think that one of the good things that the Big 12 did do for OU um, when laying out this schedule right here is the fact that they did give OU a bye week before uh, that road trip down to, to Waco. Obviously, OU is going to be playing nine games to, to start the year out before even getting a bye week. So given the fact that they are going to have a chance uh, to rest up, we all know how good Lincoln Riley is with two weeks to prepare. And I think the two weeks of preparation couldn't come in more uh, handy, couldn't come in a better time. Uh, it, it, as they're looking to go up against Dave Aranda, who's kind of had Lincoln Riley's number the past couple of years, obviously in the Peach Bowl with LSU. And then last year, um, that was probably the worst offensive performance uh, from a Lincoln Riley offense uh, that we've seen since he arrived here in Norman uh, when, whenever Baylor came to town last year. So, um, But no, Corbin, I think you hit the nail on the head. The second thing that kind of stands out to me looking at this schedule, obviously the, the two big games that all OU fans are going to have circled is the road trip down to Dallas for Texas and then, of course, the uh, uh, senior night, the final home game of the regular season against Iowa State. The thing that stands out to me about that is you've got your two toughest road games of the year stacked right there before each of those on the road at K-State the week before Texas. Obviously, we know OU is not going to be looking ahead to Texas simply because of the fact that K-State has embarrassed OU the last two years uh, in winning both games that they absolutely shouldn't have. And then obviously Iowa State in what should be a rematch of the Big 12 championship, a a chance for OU to go down to Waco uh, and, and take on Baylor. So those were just a couple of my um, early takeaways, look at the schedule. I think it is a very favorable schedule from uh, for OU. Um, Adam, looking at this right here, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you? Or would you, could you see yourself throwing out like an early record prediction? Or uh, what do you think, dude? Like Corbin said earlier, 12-0 and is the expectation. I think as a fan base over the last couple of years, we've kind of just chalked it up and gone, oh, it's going to be 11-1 and because OU always drops a game they shouldn't. And let's be realistic, though. This team is, you know, supposed to be on a different level than it ever has been. The defense is going to be playing uh, at probably its peak ever since at least 2013 or so, probably before that. And uh, we expect some really big things out of Spencer Radler. So 12-0 and 0 is, is very realistic. That should be the standard. Anything less than that should be extremely disappointing. Yeah, I thought, you know, uh, looking over just the Big 12 football schedule as a whole, for as nice as I think the schedule played out for us, I'm actually kind of leaning the complete opposite way 
for Texas. Uh, I'm taking a look at their schedule here. You got in week two of con- excuse me, week three of conference play. They go at TCU. Um, and let's just pause for a second here and just take a moment of celebration to understand that TCU has beaten Texas six out of the past seven years. Insane. Then we got the the Cotton Bowl against OU in Dallas, but then they've got road games at Baylor, at Iowa State, at West Virginia. Their home games are Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Kansas State. That's a pretty tough schedule. Um, Some of those places on the road are going to be tough to play. So I actually think the schedule did no favors to um, our foes down in Austin. Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually had them circled as probably the toughest finish in the conference to play at Baylor on uh, October 30th. Then your November schedule is at Iowa State and Ames. Kansas is a gimme at home. And then at, at Morgantown for West Virginia. And then at the very end of all that, you have maybe one of the most physical teams in the conference coming down to Austin and Kansas State. So you, you make the two longest road trips at the end of the year and play some of the most physical teams at that point too. That's going to be a really tough finish for Texas. Yeah, I completely agree. It's In my opinion, Texas probably has the toughest schedule out of anybody in the Big 12, not just conference play alone. Uh, obviously, you alluded to uh, away games to kind of close out the year, Baylor, Iowa State, and West Virginia. But their non-conference schedule is no cupcake either. I mean, Louisiana is a team that it would not surprise me if they upset Texas or, or at least play them within 7 to 10 points. I know the game is going to be in Austin, but uh, we, we saw what Louisiana did last year. They're going to be returning, I think, at least 90% of the production from, from that team. Um, at Arkansas, um, that's kind of a toss-up. What's Sam Pittman going to be able to do in year two um, up in Fayetteville? And guys, I mean, t- Texas is one that, you know, it's kind of a head scratcher. What, what really is Sark going to be able to, uh, to get accomplished in year one? Obviously he's got a lot to figure out new quarterback. Uh, he's going to have some new, um, new skill position pieces that he's going to have to plug and play. Um, uh, but it's definitely going to be a, uh, an interesting year for the folks down in Austin uh, as Steve Scar, Steve Sarkeesian, um, takes over at the helm for, for coach Tom Herman. So, uh, guys, I want to throw, I want to throw a couple different things out here. I thought this would be something kind of fun to do. You guys aren't expecting this, um, over under on what the projected spread in your opinion would be for four or five of these, uh, matchups, uh, for, for OU. So I'm not, not going to go through all of them. Um, we'll start with Nebraska coming to Norman week three over under on the spread of this game. OU minus 20 and a half against Scott Frost and the, and the Cornhuskers. I would take the under as of this moment. I'd really like to see what Nebraska looks like. Uh, They opened the season as of right now in Dublin against Illinois, and they lost by two touchdowns to Illinois last year. Uh, But then the the second game on their schedule is Buffalo at home, and Buffalo is probably the strongest team in the MAC. So if Nebraska can go 2-0 through that, uh, I will feel a little bit better about that being a closer game. Um, But even even with all that, I'm going to take the under just as of this moment. Yeah, I'm going to go over there. I think that's probably a 24 to 28 point win. I think worst case scenario, of course, you know, crazier things have happened in sports. But um, yeah, give me give me the over there. I think that'll be a little more of a a cushion win than uh, than that line shows. Let's fast forward to week five. Uh, Big 12 road first road game for Oklahoma traveling on the road to Manhattan against Kansas State. Uh, Corbin, starting with you on this, over under 14.5 point favorite for OU against Chris Kleiman's guys. Based on the past two years, there's no reason for me to take that over. So I'm going to go under there. Um, if we can get out of 
Manhattan with a, a double digit win, I'll, I'll be pretty pleased. Um, so hopefully in that, that 10 range is kind of what I'm looking for, but um, would love to say over, I think we're talented enough to hit that over, but uh, you know, history speaks for itself there recently. I'm going to go the other way on that one, basically because I don't think that uh, history will continue to repeat itself. I think it's very unusual for a program like OU to lose to Kansas State so many times in a row. So uh, I just think OU is going to be out for some blood in this one and uh, to prove a point. And I think a huge thing, we'll see if Skyler Thompson is still playing quarterback against Kansas State. He's been pretty uh, pretty average in Big 12 play, except when he plays against the Sooners. Uh, j- just take a look at those stats. I, I like that, like the division here. So fast forward one week, biggest, biggest game of the year, rivalry, OU-Texas down in Dallas. I'm going to set this one over under at 7.5 against Texas in week six. Adam? Give me the under on that one. This is always a super close game. We are overdue for a, a big blowout win, but uh, I think Sark's going to have his team pumped up uh, for this game, if no other, uh, throughout the rest of the year. But uh, this is definitely going to be a close one in my book. Yeah, I'm going to take the under as well. Um, but that's probably the toughest one I've had to choose from so far. I think if Texas had a similar non-conference schedule than, uh, than, than what we have, I think I'd probably be a lot more confident in taking that under. But Texas isn't going to be able to hide anything before you know we meet in Dallas. They've got, as you mentioned before, Tyler, Louisiana, Arkansas, TCU. They're going to have to play their full playbook. Nothing's going to be hidden. I think we'll have a pretty good idea of who Texas is by that point. But that game's too crazy, too big of a rivalry to uh, assume at this point that's going to be more than a seven-point win. Yeah, there were, t- there were two things uh, about that game that would make me confident as an OU fan betting the over 7.5, like you said, Corbin. The, the fact that Texas is not going to have any room to uh, to start things out early as far as kind of um, slowly kind of installing things, you know, being very vanilla up front. They're going to have to play their A game against Louisiana on the road against Arkansas. OU is going to know exactly what they're getting themselves into whenever they roll into the Cotton Bowl uh, down in Dallas. and. Uh, like I said, I, I know that B. John Robinson is good, but uh, I think if there's one thing that OU is going to be able to take advantage of, not just with Texas, but in the entire uh, in the entire year uh, against Big 12 foes, it's going to be OU's defensive line uh, against the opposing team's offensive line. Can't wait to see what Coach Thibodeau's guys uh, are going to do um, in, in another year in that speedy system. So um, fast forward three in a row here to close out the year. OU traveling to Waco, Baylor, Week 11, over under minus 10 against the Bears down in Waco in week in week 11. Adam? Ooh, that one's a tough one um, because it's so far down the schedule that I, I don't know what either team is going to look like by the time we get there. I'm, I'm more of the belief that I'm not as high on Baylor. I think they'll improve from year one to year two under Dave Aranda, but there's some certainly some question marks there around the quarterback position. Uh, so championship November kicks off, I think, in a big way. I'll take the over on that one over yeah i'm gonna side with adam on this one as well i think um you know that championship november is something that rings a lot of bells in norman and something that team takes pretty seriously i think coming off that bye week um you know they should be ready to go and they should be ready to uh, at that point you hope you're undefeated you got three games till conference championship to keep that record unblemished so yeah i think they come out firing after a week off and uh and take care of baylor even though that was you know a game i circled for potential upset. So um, yeah, I think they should control their own destiny there and, and take care of the bears and Waco. 
I'm going to take the owner on this one. Um, looking at the schedule, I think if there's one game that, that should be circled that I think could give OU a little bit of trouble, I think it is against Baylor. So while I do think that OU, obviously from a talent standpoint, they should you know they should beat everybody by at least 10 points uh, on this entire schedule. But um, uh, again, we've mentioned the Dave Aranda factor uh, on the road in Waco. I think that OU does win this game, but I think that it could be closer uh, take a page out of Lee Corso's playbook. To, uh, could be closer than what the experts think. So I'll take the under on that. Let's fast forward one more week. Um, it'll be the home finale for the 2021 season. OU Iowa State. Um, obviously, hopefully that's a that's a college game day um, coming to Norman. That'll be should be a fantastic atmosphere. Hopefully we've got a full crowd uh, once once late November rolls around. But uh, for this one, I kind of went back and forth. Obviously, um, home home team that's worth at least three points. I'm going to set the over under on this one. OU minus six and a half against Matt Campbell, Brock Purdy, and Brees Hall in Norman. Adam, what you think, dude? Uh, that's that's really tough. I'm going to take the over just slightly. Um, just thinking that you know at that point in the season, maybe uh, maybe OU will have a little bit more depth at that point, and being uh, being at home a big opportunity to make a big statement win as we go down the stretch, hopefully vying for not just a playoff spot, but playoff seating at this point. So I've got Adam taking the over and also believing in the same result as the 2008 OU Texas tech jump around game. So I've got him, got him in for that book it, book it for that. Corbin, what do you think, dude? Six and a half. Yeah, I'm going over as well. Um, and really here's why I'm looking at Iowa state's, conference schedule here one their their bye week is week four and so all of a sudden now you're looking at at k k state oklahoma state at home at west virginia texas at home at texas tech if i'm an iowa state fan i'm circling that one for upset um and then you have to go to norman i think iowa state's gonna be a super talented team but you gotta wonder health and just pure exhaustion after that stretch, if they can come into Norman and really compete at the highest level they had the past couple of years. They've played us well, they've played us so well the past few years, but yeah, I'm gonna take over uh, over six and a half there. I think it's at least a touchdown win for the Sooners in Norman. That's why I was so mad when I saw the the conference wide schedule come out. The fact that they did put OU Iowa State all the way at the end of the year, like you said, at K State, at West Virginia home games against Texas and Oklahoma State, that's only going to create more opportunities for an upset or for Iowa State to lose maybe either one or two games going down the stretch. So I think that could kind of potentially uh, d- diminish or you know make the OU-Iowa State game at the end of the year in Norman kind of a less sexier appeal uh, across the country of college football. But um, no, I-, I think it could be a-, a fantastic game. Obviously, like we said, if OU is as good as we think they can be, uh, all these guys take a step forward, especially Spencer Rattler, Alex Grinch, another year uh, with with his guys, uh, first and foremost in that speed D system. Um, I, I absolutely cannot wait. I think it's a good schedule. Um, obviously, OU's going to play extremely well going down the stretch. There's there's a few few games that OU I could see OU slipping up in, but um, I, I think one of the one of the big things this offseason, o, Lincoln Riley, those guys in that locker room, they know what kind of team they've got. They know the talent. They know what this season could be, how special it could. Uh, how, how special it could turn out. So um, c- cannot wait to see what these guys do. They're going to play well, but I think they can do it. And like I said, we haven't had an undefeated season in Norman since 2004. Uh, and I think that this could be OU's best chance to kind of get over the hump and, and finish the regular season as undefeated uh, Big 12 champions. So, uh, guys, any other any other Big 12 schedule notables? Anything else? Um, looking down here, weeks one through 14, before we kind of move on here? 
Yeah, guys, what do you think about Oklahoma State heading this year? I don't know if there's a team that typically I'm pretty familiar with that I have more question marks about heading into a season than they are. And based on past performance, the less I know about Oklahoma State, typically the better they are. So any thoughts on them, kind of just what to expect from them next season? Adam, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I'm trying to pull up their schedule, look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way that Corbin does as far as um, there's certainly some question marks around the what's on their roster. I'm not really sure who's going to be their go-to guys in a lot of different key areas. Um, starting out the year, you know, with two games at home with K-State and Baylor coming to Stillwater, that certainly helps, but it's not like those two teams are uh, especially beatable. Um, so I don't really know. I, I feel like they should take a step back from what they did last year, but I don't know. You, you never can count out Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy and, and what they have um, up there, you know, in Stillwater. I think that Oklahoma State is going to be better um, on both sides uh, of the line of scrimmage. Obviously, they've got some key skill guys to replace, losing Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. Uh, is is Dylan Stoner coming back? Is or is he going to try to make it? I, I think he has unlimited eligibility. Okay, so he's he's the Perry Ellis uh, of uh, college <laughs> yeah. football in the Big Twelve. Isn't he transferred? Did he? I don't know. I saw his name pop up in the portal. Hang on, to keep talking, Tyler. I'll look this up. But the the thing that stands out to me, looking at OSU's schedule, if if you take away take away Oklahoma, obviously at the end of the year, and take away TCU being probably a top five team in the Big Twelve, Oklahoma State starts their year out against Kansas State, Baylor. They get a bye week, of course, but then you've got back to back road games at Texas, at Iowa State. So that spells to me if Mike Gundy can't get things going right away in the in the non conference schedule, kind of figure out what he's got, uh, especially at the quarterback position. Is Spencer Sanders going to be the same guy we've seen the last two years, or is he finally going to take that next step uh, and be a more consistent player? But I mean, lo- looking at that, uh, I it would not surprise me if if uh, right out of the gate in Big Twelve play, Oklahoma State starts out, you know, two and two at best. I think you're probably looking more like a one and three or zero oh and four type scenario depending on what what we get from Baylor this year so uh could be a little bit of a a rebuilding year for Oklahoma State but Corbin like you said uh the the years where Oklahoma State doesn't necessarily scare me the ones where they can make things a little bit more interesting are those years where you don't really expect much from them uh, and they have a tendency to come up and kind of surprise you and bite you in the ass uh, when you least expect it so um we'll see though Dylan if Dylan Stoner's back that definitely uh bodes well for, for Mike Gundy I believe he uh, declared for the draft along with Landon Wolf, who I know had significant playing time as a receiver there. So, um, yeah, he went and played in the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. So Stoner is is heading to the NFL. Just, there's just a ton of question marks there, guys. They ha- They lost so much more than I think they were expecting to. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's definitely going to be a storyline to watch. I don't know who Oklahoma State's got in the non-conference play, but uh, if they're going to rack up some wins and hopefully get bowl eligible, then they're they're going to have to go undefeated uh, in, non, in non-conference play. Because once the Big 12 slate gets going in Stillwater, um, that's, that's four pretty tough games to kind of start the year out. So, uh, well, guys, let's kind of transition over here, obviously. Um, OU football schedule, that's something that we've kind of been waiting on. Um, but something that we've been kind of talking about um, is with, with recruiting going on, obviously it's it's gotten so much more popular. Everybody, it seems like, is a lot more tuned into it, what's going on, who's offering who, who's committing where. 
But one of the things that really kind of got me thinking about this topic was the the Connor Wegman uh, committing to Texas A&M, the 2022 quarterback uh, out of Texas, committing to Texas A&M when he was only one of two quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley offered uh, in the 2022 class. So that kind of got me thinking about what what's so appealing about these different schools. And we're going to focus on just these three right here with Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M. With, with that quarterback committing to Texas A&M over Lincoln Riley, who's coached Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Murray Jalen Hurts, we see what he's got right now in Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, it got me thinking, why the hell would you go to Texas A&M when what, – what's Jimbo what, – what's he hanging his hat on? Kellen Mond, um, above-average quarterback in the SEC the last three to four years. So that just kind of got me thinking. So. Yeah, but I mean, he was kind of a one-hit wonder. I know that he's, you know, looks like he could potentially be the starting quarterback for the the Saints, but I, I just don't know. So, just kind of, kind of, what are you guys' some of the thoughts, like advantages, disadvantages that all three of these teams are facing, or why is Texas A&M so hot right now when OU's got all the uh, the success on the field? So, Corbin, just kind of starting with you, man. Uh, OU, Texas A&M, um, what's what's got to be so appealing about each of these three schools? Well, I think one thing, you know, as you mentioned with with Wegman, something you can't take off the table is the the baseball draw. I know he's a big time baseball player, potentially end up could be playing baseball instead of football when his time finishes up in college station. And let's be honest, as great as I think, you know, the OU baseball program is that they're not even close to what they're doing down in college station. So that was a huge player there that we have to keep in mind. This wasn't just a football versus football argument. Um, but I kind of broke it down to into a few different things. So here's where I would give um, the Aggies an edge. I think conference prestige, whether we agree with it or not personally, on a national scale, the SEC kind of has that swag and the, the best conference, even though it's basically just Bama and then everybody else. That's a time, you know, conversation for another time and place. I do think they probably have the best fan base of the three as well. Um, they're just, whether they're delirious or not, they're, I think they're just one of the crazier fan bases in all of college sports. And I would give them a slight edge when it comes to facilities. Um, as far as Texas goes, I think they have the biggest brand of the three arguments. Uh, and let's be honest, the, the campus and nightlife in Austin uh, kicks ass over anything <laughs> over Norman or College Station. <laughs> offer um and then OU I really think you know it's the on the field success that really gives us an edge in a lot of those arguments and it's a I want to make sure I, I speak clearly on this a, a true tradition of winning uh that you know we can hold in our back pocket unlike you know some of those things that are celebrated in college station so that's kind of how I broke it down um and 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 where I gave each school kind of the, the category nod I would agree with pretty much everything Corbin just said the, the big thing here and what really causes a lot of recruits to pick Texas and Texas A&M over OU is that the thing that's most important to us as fans of the program is, you know, we love to win. That's really all that matters to us. But in a recruit's mind, that's only a portion of what they're making their decision on. And they may not even look back more than just a couple of years even. So, if you if you just take that you know the winning portion you know and minimize it to a small percentage of their de- overall decision, then it looks like man Texas and Texas A and M have all these advantages, um, and especially for kids in the state of Texas where there's so much state pride, and you know the the general thought of Oklahoma is not 
always a, a very positive one. It makes a lot of sense to me why uh, a lot of kids would, would choose to go to A&M or, or to Texas. It's amazing to me how much recruiting has changed um, just in probably the last five to 10 years. You know, recruiting now, it doesn't seem as what a lot of people think it is. I mean, it, it, it kind of a weird analogy, but recruiting, you know, it used to be like dating. You know, you get to know all the coaches, find out who you think, you know, what you'd be a good fit with, and then you commit to, uh, to be with them and play for them. And now, it, it kind of seems like it's it's less about the relationships and it's more about, you know, where can I go that I'm going to be able to get on the field the quickest or where am I going to go that's going to put me in the best position to go to the NFL. Um, so I, I think that the minor I think that there's minor things um, that these, these kids kind of take into consideration, like the facilities. You know, if you're at OU, Texas, A&M, all three of those schools have fantastic facilities. Uh, year in and year out, but I think I think that Adam, you hit the nail on the head. You know, talking about the things that matter to them outside of just winning football games. It's, you know, where can I go? That's you know maybe going to get me you know the most Twitter followers. Who's going to give me the you know the fame? You know, we see year in and year out these recruiting departments, graphic design. The, these departments growing. It's it's all about you know the the brand and uh, how can I better myself? How can I you know further promote not just you know my football skills, but what's going to you know create the best opportunity for me past the game of football? And I think that's kind of where A and M um, is kind of kicking the other two guys or other two teams' ass. You know, A and M, Corbin, you're exactly right. Hundred ten thousand. Uh, fans, it's the best stadium atmosphere amongst the three. There's no, no doubt about that whatsoever. They've got the th- those three letters, that three-letter logo on their chest, SEC. They ride the coattails better than anybody in that conference when it comes to you know celebrating the success of Alabama. But when, when you look at a team like like Texas A&M, they do the they do the best job of selling life after football, the networking, the Aggie ring. Not a, once your football career is over, how are you going to be able to you know to provide for your family? What's going to give you the best opportunity to be successful? You know, once you you know become 30, 40 years old, and while I think OU has does that extremely well, it, it just doesn't kind of compare with some, kind of that aurora. You know, having that Aggie ring on your finger right now. Obviously, you look at a place like Texas, Austin. There's really no comparison when it, whenever it comes to the the campus life, the nightlife. Sixth Street, you can't beat it. Love Campus Corner. It's not Sixth Street. It's not even close. But I think what's appealing to Texas right now, going into 2021, is Texas is basically selling the fact that you know we're going to be Alabama in a couple of years because we have Sarkeesian. So that's kind of what Texas is is uh, is preaching and hanging their hat on. And obviously, you know, it's been the same at OU year in and year out. It's the winning culture. It's win now. Come here to compete for championships. We've you know we've definitely got the advantage when it comes to on field success. We know about the the national championship history, the Big Twelve championships, the Heisman trophies. Most players amongst the three in the NFL. But it, it's just kind of it's kind of crazy to think about how much recruiting has changed and the value. That, that these 16, 17, 18-year-old kids are placing whenever it comes to prioritizing why they want to go to, to a specific school. Yeah, I think you hit it spot on. Um, and I think all, all three schools are, are selling the same hope, right? I think you, you look at what AM did last year. We're, we're so close. We're so close to getting into a playoff and competing for a title. OU, we've been in the playoff. We're so close to, to getting back to that spot and competing for a title. Texas, new leadership. We're so close to get back to, you know, being what Texas is supposedly all about. Um, so I think they're all selling the same thing. Let me ask you guys, it's just a little bit off topic. That I was thinking as you, you were talking, Tyler, outside of Kirby Smart and specifically referring to 
Steve Sarkeesian and the assumed success that he's immediately going to have. Who else under the Nick Saban tree has had success as a head coach? Lane Kiffin. But, I mean, I don't know if you could completely consider Lane Kiffin the Nick Saban tree because of all the experience that Kiffin had before he even went to Alabama. Yeah, and I think you could even question the title of success there. I think Ole Miss is a good job, but let's not get too carried away. (laughs) That's true. I mean, he did well in his first year. He was pretty solid at Florida Atlantic. He certainly seems off to a much better start than he ever was when he was at USC or Tennessee or or the Raiders even. So, yeah, still, still some story to be told there. Lane Kiffin was the only one that really came to mind for me. And obviously we would have to go back and do some research, but I think because of the fact that Lane Kiffin is the only one that we can really think of, it kind of speaks to the fact that there really hasn't been anybody else from that Saban coaching tree that's had, you know, continuous success as a head coach. Well, what about Jimbo Fisher? As far as him being a part of Saban's tree or what makes him so appealing? Well, he, he was uh, the offensive coordinator at LSU in 2003. So it was a long time ago, but he's a part of the saving tree, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah I guess I forgot about that. I was only nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, you know, modern day, since Saban's been at Bama, you've got Kirby Smart, and that's it. And Kirby hasn't even won an SEC championship. So, you know, I, I do wonder how much logical weight, when you take away over all the glitz and the glam of Alabama being the most talented roster easily last year, you could probably make an argument of of one of the best all time, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You just wonder after what Sark did as a head coach at a few of his stops that didn't really result in anything. We we're easy to say, Hey, pump, pump the brakes here, but on a national scale, that's not really happening. So I was just curious if you guys had thought anybody uh, that I hadn't that had really made a big boom from the saving tree outside of outside of Kirby. I mean, it doesn't exist, really. Yep. I, I'm I'm having trouble finding one. I mean, Blaine Kiffin's probably the most successful that there is. Um, Kirby's been good, but, you know, he really hasn't. He's won a playoff game uh, against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, but he hasn't won a conference championship and hasn't won a national championship. So um, well, He won the conference championship that year to get them into the playoffs in 2017, didn't he? He beat Auburn. Uh, did he? It wasn't against Alabama. It was against Auburn. Yeah. Yeah, you're okay. right. So he had won an SEC championship because Bama was the four seed that year. Correct. Yeah. Did okay, Alabama, so they, Alabama went on to win the championship? They did. Yeah. They they faced off uh, in the national championship game there in Atlanta. Oh my God! If we would have just beat Bama, we or beat <laughs> Georgia. God. There would have been no two a story if we would have played Alabama in the championship game. Oh, I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, well, the, and and who knows what happens as far as the Jalen Hurts saga, uh, how that story is rewritten if if that game gets played. So, uh, but guys, kind of to finish out, you know, comparing OU, Texas, and A and M, I just kind of want to go down some different positions here, and you guys just tell me if you're a recruit, throw all the other stuff aside, the 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 stuff outside of football, the nightlife, the you know, all the glitz and the glam, the hundred ten thousand fans, whatever. This is a strictly a football decision, what's going to put me in the best position to improve as a football player, get my degree, 
and hopefully achieve the dream that, that that every college football player sets out to do, which is play in the NFL. If I'm a quarterback, where am I going? Oh, you. Any question whatsoever? No, none. Okay. Even with Sarkeesian and Jimbo. Uh, running back position. Who, who's got a better history of the, at the running back position than OU? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. OU on that one. Offensive line? There's an argument there's a, there. Go ahead, Corbin. There's an argument there, but yeah, I'd lean towards towards OU as well. Okay, offensive line. I think OU for sure. Maybe A and M. A and M have a few guys, but but OU overall for me. Yep, by hair, I'd give that to A and M. Wow, and that's that's crazy when you think about all the offensive linemen that's that's been at OU over the last decade. You know, particularly the last two or three years that are you know starting on Sundays right now. So. Um, Defense, I think, is where you could probably have a little bit more of an argument. Um, if you go back past prior to Alex Grinch getting there, I mean, obviously, defensive line, AM's kind of got that locked up right now. Um, is there really anywhere else on the defensive side of the football where you think OU has an advantage, or that's where it starts to favor Texas or AM? I, I think it favors Texas um, on the defensive side as a whole from what they've put in the league at, at all the levels. Yeah, I, I think I disagree. I think I'd lean towards A and M on the defensive side of the ball. I, at least over the past couple years, I'd probably put OU at two there. So I'm actually struggling, and this honestly is my, me putting my fandom aside. I'm struggling to figure out if I'm a recruit why I'm going to Texas over those other two. If it comes down to a true head-to-head between the three at any position, hey, Texas might just have a uh, a heavier McDonald's sack. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, that so, but yeah, that again, that that was just kind of something off the wall, something that I thought would be kind of interesting to talk about. You know, the different ways you know recruits look at things, the different things that they prioritize when it comes to choosing a school. Um, but that's definitely something you know that the guys like us we we enjoy following and uh, and seeing where all these talented kids go. So, uh, guys, let's kind of uh, put put it over here. Fast forward to a different topic. Um, it's kind of something that. Um, we kind of stole from the PMT crew. You know, this is something that Barstool um, was doing quite a bit of the last, you know, two, three, four years. Um, and, and that's the Mount Rushmore. That's each of our top four uh, choices for, for a specific category. So, um, obviously, we got a lot of different categories that we could choose from. The one that we're going to go with today are is the Mount Rushmore of college sports venues uh, across the country. So, uh, we'll we'll do a snake draft here, um, and obviously I, I, I uh, flipped a coin a couple different times. So Corbin, we'll start with you on this, and then we'll go to Adam and myself, and then after I pick, I'll go again, and we'll uh, we'll each round out our uh, our four choices for our Mount Rushmore. So Corbin, start it off, dude. What you got, guys? This is tough. I did not want to go number one. Um, I put a list together, probably about twelve to fifteen, and I probably switched them four or five times last night. They're just They're all so great, but there's one to me that will always stand out far and above the rest, and that's Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to attend two games there, uh, specifically the one where in one poll OU basketball was number one, Kansas was number two, and the other poll Kansas was one, uh, OU was two, went to triple overtime. Buddy had 40-something points in that game. Um, Guys, outside of OU winning a national championship in football, I don't know that there'll be another event that I had 
that, that will be more special than, than being there at that, uh, that game. So that's an, a, a relatively easy one. Fall Gallon Fieldhouse, that place is rocking. There's a spirit about that place that is real. That's going to be my number one overall pick. Well, that's interesting that you say that it was such a tough call uh, for the number one spot because I was thinking the exact same thing. I wanted to go second, pick uh, Kevin Durant instead of Greg Oden, and then you picked one that wasn't even in my top two. So so now I'm stuck here uh, still with the same conundrum, but I think I'm going to give the edge to uh, the Rose Bowl, not not a UCLA game, but uh, the actual Rose Bowl itself, the granddaddy of them all. Um, you can't beat that atmosphere, the scenery, the the level of prestige for the teams that are continually playing in that game, and the stakes. So um, I'm going to go Rose Bowl. Adam, that was my number one pick, and it wasn't even close uh, when trying to figure that out. That's the best game that I've ever been to, best atmosphere. wasn't the outcome, obviously, that any of us wanted, but in terms of just the pageantry of that game, that was God, Rose Bowl takes the cake. So, um, well, let's go ahead and knock number one off for me. Uh, starting from me, um, I'm going to go out to ACC country. I'm going to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium, uh, home of the Duke Blue Devils basketball team. Um, I, I grew up um, a, a Duke basketball fan, you know, loved Coach K, the John Shire, the J.J. Redick days, uh, obviously all the uh, all the slower white guys making three-point shots. I was able to relate to that. But j- just talking about some of the all the Alzheimer's that, that have played in that arena, even though it only holds, you know, six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 fans, they're right on top of you, the Cameron Crazies, um, they're the right on top of you, the atmosphere, the noise level. Um, there's just so much history when it comes to that court and, and that arena. So uh, give me the Duke Blue, Duke Blue Devils at Cameron Indoor Stadium. That was my number two. So <laughs> I think we're right there in alignment. Nice. So number two for me. God, this is tough. Um, second head on the Mount Rushmore for me. Uh, it's a place that we visit every single year. I'm going to go down to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. Um the stadium is absolute trash, but <laughs> it's 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 all it's the ambience and the pageantry that's going on around it. It's OU Texas. It's the state fair. It's half the crowd crimson and half the crowd you know burnt orange. Um, One hundred ten thousand people in that small space uh, on that particular Saturday. So it's it's my favorite weekend every single year in terms of sports. Um, so let me go with the Cotton Bowl for OU Texas uh, as number two for me. Interesting selection. Cotton Bowl was not even on my radar at all. Uh, so, so interesting that you you went there. I think it's I think it's a great game. So, not not necessarily a bad pick, but um, I'm going to go with Notre Dame Stadium for my second pick. Um, I don't know if either of you guys had the opportunity to go see uh, OU play there in 2013, but um, that's got to be just the most uh, historic team stadium and just everything, you know, that screams college football. Uh, I don't think that they do any advertising in there. And I think they just recently got a video board uh, in that stadium, but um, there's just a, a really special uh, aura whenever you're, you're there around the campus and, and especially inside the stadium at Notre Dame. Yeah, Adam, I, uh, Gonna steal the words right from your mouth. I don't have Notre Dame on my top sixteen, not even. <laughs> um, so, I, strangely enough, in my top one through four, I've got two options here. So this makes it nice and easy for me. So, second round, second pick for me is the Army Navy game. 
Uh, I don't care if that is in Philly at Lincoln Financial. I don't care if that's in MetLife in New Jersey or like last year, if it's at a, at a home stadium. That has always been a bucket list game for me that I, I cannot wait to attend at some point. Um, a venue like that with with cadets and um, our servicemen and women on both sides attending that has always been something that looks super special. So that that one's pretty easy for, for me on that one. Um, my, uh, my third Mount Rushmore... Maybe a little specific here. I'm going to go up to Penn State, uh, Happy Valley, but under one circumstance, it has to be a night whiteout game. Um, that's another thing that's on my bucket list for me to attend to. That place looks just beyond loud, um, and so that is definitely has to be on my uh, my Mount Rushmore. I like that pick. Um, I mean, that is one of the best atmospheres in all of college football, if not if not the best. So. Uh, love that one. Um, I've got another tough one here. There's a couple different directions um, I could go with this one. Uh, this is this is tough. I think I'm gonna stick with similar theme to Notre Dame Stadium. I'm gonna go with the shoe in Columbus, along the same lines as far as um, you're always gonna get a great game. Ohio State, a very historic program, uh, a massive stadium, great fan base. Uh, I mean. I, it's going to be a fun atmosphere in there. So uh, give me the shoe. I like that. I actually had that one in my, in my top 10. Um, that was a fantastic game. Um, OU Baker planting the flag. That's one that I'll never forget. Uh, number three for me, I'm going to stay in college football. Um, I'm going to go with LSU um, Tiger Stadium on one condition that it's against Alabama at night. Um, obviously we've all heard the stories how there, there's not a better home atmosphere in college football when it is LSU Alabama inside Tiger Stadium at night, the purple and gold, the, the ruckus student section. Uh, give me Tiger Stadium for number three uh, on the Mount Rushmore for me. And number four, God, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Every single one of mine has already been taken. Um, so I... <laughs> Well, I, I didn't put – I only put about six or eight together. I didn't think that uh, we, we would have so many of the same ones. Um, next for me, uh, come back to me on number four. I'll give you guys two more picks. Let me let me do a little bit more thinking uh, as far as rounding out my, my number four pick. So, uh, Adam, go back to you, man. What you got? Yeah, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I've got three college football stadiums on here. I'm going to round it out with uh, Mississippi State's baseball stadium, which is uh, nicknamed The Dude. Uh, the official name is Duty Noble Field, but it's called The Dude. And Mississippi State is known for having a really rabid uh, college baseball fan base. So um, their, their games are a ton of fun. They're, they're usually a pretty solid team. They just put in a ton of renovations in their stadium. It looks like a, a minor league stadium in a lot of ways. It's very nice. They even have uh, a four-story uh, building out in left field called the left field lofts, which are basically just suites with patios on them and, and balconies. It's really cool. So um, I think that is just one of the really unique and and probably exciting uh, venues in college sports. It's not as well known. That's a great pick. Uh, I didn't even think about that, but that's that's a phenomenal pick. Uh, I'm going to go a little, little out as well. Um, I'm going to go ASA Hall of Fame Stadium for the Women's College World Series. Um, I've been fortunate enough to attend that, not only OU games, but just that tournament in general. One of my favorite places to go. The amount of people that um, 
make that a yearly trip. That is their vacation. And people you just meet along the way in the stands. It's really, really special. I cannot wait. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I can't wait to get back and see the renovations. I mean, that stadium is going to be larger than it ever has been before, louder than it ever has been before. Um, and there's no end in sight as far as um, OU, you know, planting their flag there to be there year in, year out anytime soon. So um, that's probably going to be my, my number four. And Tyler, since, you know, two of the three of us were prepared for this segment. I'll, I'll kick it back to you to finish it up. <laughs> number four for me. I pre- appreciate that. Um, always enjoy being on here with you guys. Uh, number four for me. Um, I, I wanted to go with one, uh, a place that I've, that I've been to. Um, and, and for me, it's the, it's the uh, college baseball college world series up in Omaha. I had a chance to uh, playing some travel balls as a kid. Our, our team went up there to Omaha, played in a tournament, had a chance to check out two or three games um, at Rosenblatt Stadium. Um, again, one of the most historic uh, baseball uh, parks in the, in the entire country. Obviously, um, it, the College World Series is not played there anymore. It's made the transition over to TD Ameritrade Park uh, across the street over there in Omaha. But Rosenblatt, the, the history, the amount of all-time greats uh, that, that have played college baseball and eventually gone on to, to have fantastic careers in the pros. Um, probably the most the, the best part about the experience for that was, I can't remember if there's eight or 12 teams that are at the College World Series, but I can remember being there uh, and, and seeing eight different colors of eight different fan bases surrounding that entire ballpark. It was a pretty cool experience, uh, and the lemonade there is is uh, phenomenal. So give me the uh, Men's College World Series in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Adam, what you were bailed yourself you? out there. <laughs> what did you say, Adam? I was going to say you bailed yourself out there, Tyler. Great pick, uh, scrambling there at number four, and you probably got a little hint from Corbin there with uh, the Softball World Series right before it, but good bailout. It sounds to me like the three of us are going to have a chance uh, with just seeing, obviously it's going to be a long year, but just seeing what Patty's team did today, hopefully uh, here in just a few short months, we'll have a chance to go up there uh, to Oklahoma City and check out the Women's College World Series and some of the new renovations that have been made. So um, that'll be uh, that'll be a fun one to partake in for sure. Adam, what were some of your, your runner-ups that maybe uh, you didn't get to? Yeah, on my list here, uh, some ones that didn't make it at all. I had Hinky Fieldhouse for Butler. I had uh, Lavelle Lavelle Edwards Stadium for BYU. Just a very scenic uh, background there. The Fargo Dome. Yeah. And then uh, I've also got Husky Stadium because of, of the way. Uh, I guess it's Seattle Bay. I'm, I'm, there's probably a, a more uh, more specific name for that bay, but having that in the background. And then I had the the big house in Camp Randall as well uh, to round out my top fifteen. Yep, I had, a, I had a couple of those. I had the Dean Dome in there as well, uh, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party between Florida and Georgia. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I had Assembly Hall with Indiana basketball and then a little bit of a throwback, Madison Square Garden for the old Big East basketball championships. Um, always good thought one. that was a special place. Yeah, I considered Indiana. It just feels like the shine has really come off of that program. They just haven't had the same type of historic success that they're known for. Yep, I agree. Well, due to my lack of preparation, I don't have any runner-ups or honorable mentions to throw out there. Um, so, guys, anything else before we get out of here? No, uh, not fun. I, yeah, I mean, I won that Mount Rushmore, so I think it was great. <laughs> well, what was your fourth pick? I kind of zoned out. Yeah, it was uh, the it was Mississippi State's baseball stadium, the dude, which just gave it some flavor. Oh, I don't Randy think it's Walker, possible. 
Thank you to win Mount Rushmore when the dude is on their Mount Rushmore. So <laughs> I'll talk you for that one. <laughs> well, again, this, this is fantastic. And like we said, uh, it's always good when we get some good content. OU football schedule being released today. We're going to continue to do this uh, as spring football uh, ramps up here in the next few weeks. Um, we'll be talking a lot more uh, as we kind of preview OU's 2021 schedule. Uh, and dive into a few other things. So, But again, always appreciate you guys uh, for listening. Go online, go to Apple, give us a five-star review, like and subscribe. Um, again, always appreciate you guys' feedback, listening to us. Uh, for uh, myself, Tyler, Adam, and Corbin, thank you guys again. Have a safe week out there. Have a good Valentine's Day. And we will see you guys back here next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.